0: Hi, welcome to Conversations with Elizabeth Johnston. I'm Elizabeth, and this is a podcast where we equip the church to be salt and light and prepare the bride of Christ for the coming of her beautiful bridegroom. I am so excited about today's episode. We are gonna be talking about how to have an intimate relationship with God. Sometimes I get emails or I see comments underneath Uh, posts that I make on social media where people are asking, how do you have a close relationship with God? I don't know how to have a close relationship with God. And so I'm really looking forward uh, to us visiting this topic today. I think of an intimate relationship with God as your hidden relationship with God that no one sees. I think of it as the part of your relationship with God that can't be performed because no one is watching, it's behind closed doors, and you're not going to be applauded or recognized for, for doing it. Just like foundations in a building are underground and we cannot see them, yet they're the most important part of the building and they keep the entire structure secure, that is how our time with God is, our intimate relationship with Him. It is the foundation. If we have church attendance and we have an outward profession of faith, yet we have something else going on when no one is watching, our foundation is faulty and the entire relationship is going to eventually suffer. Or it's proof that there actually is no intimate relationship with the Lord. So what we do in secret that nobody can see, and that we don't receive any praise for doing, that is what determines the strength of our relationship in God. And so that's where we're going to focus our attention here on having an intimate relationship with God. I'm not going to be talking to you about giving your tithe money to church. I'm not going to be talking to you about attending church and the good works you do at a soup kitchen. I'm going to be talking with you about what happens in the secret place with God when no one is looking, because that is the true answer to intimacy with the Lord. Now, first I want to say what intimate relationship with God should not be. It should not be a time where you study the Bible so that you can show that you are superior to others in your understanding of the Bible. Um, We see that in a lot of circles and We see it a lot when the Bible is in the hands of the wrong person. Um, They use the Bible just as a form of superiority over other people. As Mm -hmm. soon as you see that happening, you can rest assured that there is no actual intimate relationship with God. It's also not a time where we study the Bible to weaponize that word against Mm -hmm. others. This is going to lead to Phariseeism and If you know anything about Jesus' time here on earth, he had a major, major bone to pick with Pharisees, and he did not appreciate their, their heart. And you do not want to be a Pharisee. It's the last thing that you would want to be accused of being. This is a person who can do things right on the outside, but they're missing the forest for the trees. Their hearts are rotten, even though they can fake their works on the outside for certain period of time. So if this is your motive to weaponize the scripture against others, um, you will find yourself before long, you know, lashing out in anger and hatred towards your brothers and your sisters who believe differently than you and maybe look differently than you. We see this on the internet a lot with um, certain types of Christians who are highly critical of other ministry leaders and other ministers and other belief systems. They're highly critical of it uh, because it's not what they believe, and they want to show again superiority over others, and they want to, you know, um, really nitpick, especially the bigger, more successful churches like uh, Bethel or Elevation, and they always have a constant bone to pick with them. Um, we don't want to be using uh, our time in the scripture to criticize others, we want to allow the scripture to be a mirror. Uh, in our lives. We want to be looking at ourselves and our own hearts uh, as we come to the scripture. You know, if if a spouse were to put a good show on in front of others and uh, look like they love their mate when they're in front of others, but behind closed doors, there's total indifference. There's something different going on behind closed doors. We would we would call that out, right? We would say that's hypocrisy. That's not uh, loving your spouse. We're not concerned about what you do out in the public. We're concerned about what you do behind closed doors. It's the same thing in our relationship with the Lord. And so I want all of us to really search ourselves today and ask, um, it's so easy to, 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 deceive ourselves into thinking we're okay because we attend church or because we one time walked down an aisle and made a profession of faith, uh, because we do good works, or because we put Christian posts on social media or post Christian memes. It's so easy to deceive ourselves that we have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And we want to search ourselves today and ask, are we putting on a show on the outside? And then when we are Behind closed doors, there is no time for God. Everything else is prioritized over God. Netflix is more important than God. Um, Dirty things on the internet are more important than God. Let's all search ourselves today and ask if we are really reflecting in the secret place what we want people to think about us in public One passage that really, really hits hard is Isaiah chapter one, verses 14 through 17. And the Lord is talking here and he says to very religious people, with all my soul, I hate your new moon festivals and your feasts. They are nothing but a burden and I'm sick and tired of carrying them. When you stretch out your hands to pray, I'll hide my eyes from you. Repeat your prayers all you want, but I will not listen for your hands are stained, with innocent blood. He's saying what you're doing in secret is very different than what you're doing out in the public with your festivals and your feasts. What you're portraying to others is not what's really going on. And he's saying, I I don't want it. This is what he says, do. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove your evil actions from my sight and stop sinning. Learn what it means to do what is good by seeking righteousness and justice. Rescue the oppressed, uphold the rights of the fatherless, and defend the widow's cause. The Lord is longing, guys, not for our public display of affection, but for our hearts. And what is in our hearts is tested where? With what is happening in the secret place, in hidden places, in places that no one can see. And the Lord is on the edge of his seat, ready to encounter us, to show up and encounter us. How many people in God's word had encounters with him that rocked their world and changed their life and actually changed the course of history and ultimately changed all of our lives? Moses was encountered by God, Mary and Joseph were encountered by God. Saul of Tarsus was encountered by God. These people, when they were encountered by him, were forever changed. Were the encounters only something that happened in the Old Testament? No. They happened in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Has anything changed? No. (laughs) He still wants to encounter us now. Are you encountering him or are you listening to me right now saying, I don't know what it means to be encountered by God. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about pressing into God in such a way that you actually encounter the Son of God. You have an encounter with the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. That is available for all of us, and it is the most exciting part of your relationship with him. And I want to make sure that none of you miss out on encountering him. I want to look real quick at Matthew chapter 25. This is a parable applicable to all of us about the qualifications to be married to Christ. What are the qualifications to be his bride? Then the kingdom of heaven "'shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps "'and went out to meet the bridegroom. "'Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. "'Those who were foolish took their lamps "'and took no oil with them. "'But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. "'But while the bridegroom was delayed, "'they all slumbered and slept.' And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, oh, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. In other words, get your own oil, girl. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Time was up. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, Jesus tells us. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So he gives us this beautiful story and paints a picture for us and warns us that we must always be ready and watching for him coming and prepared. And our lamps must be trimmed. Maybe you've heard that, keep your lamps trim. Or you've heard songs, old gospel songs sung about that, but didn't really understand what that meant. I see the lamp as a public profession of faith. And I see the oil as the actual behind the scenes relationship with the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So the oil is actually the only thing that will get you married to the bridegroom. (laughs) If you have a lamp, a public profession, but you don't have the oil behind it, the intimate relationship with him, you don't get in. You're not married to the bridegroom. The public profession means nothing without the private relationship with him. Oh, this convicts me even right now as I'm speaking it. Then I want to point us to Matthew 26, where we see the woman who poured out her expensive flask of oil on Jesus when was the last time you can say you really gave the Lord something expensive, something that actually cost you? You sacrificed for the Lord. This woman, she does this in a home where Jesus is reclining, not in front of a crowd of 5,000. She could have. No, no, no. Jesus is chilling, reclining in this house. And, and so I, I kind of compare this as an act of worship in the secret place, not for looks. And Jesus says of this, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. We will talk about this forever and ever because what she has done by pouring her, pouring her expensive flask of oil on me is a beautiful thing. And Jesus places a high price on it, and he he loves expensive, extravagant love toward him. And when I say expensive, I don't mean monetarily. I mean sacrificially. It can be the way you worship the Lord behind closed doors, or even when you're in church, maybe the Lord's uh, challenging you to do something that you don't normally do to step out and to make yourself uncomfortable to worship him the way this woman did where, yeah, she walked in and kind of disturbed the situation and disturbed the meeting in order to pour out her extravagant love on her king. Let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7. You hear those pages turning? Yes, I do actually use a Bible with paper. How beautiful is that sound? You hear that? Luke 7 36. With my 45 year old eyes needing my glasses right now. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house. What kind of house is he at? Uh oh. A Pharisee's house, and sat down to eat. This is Jesus sitting down at a Pharisee's house. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this taking place in his own house... And this woman is not invited, mind you, to this party. She has just disrupted this gathering and come in uninvited. He spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him for she's a sinner. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. are forgiven. You know I love I love and I don't think it's a coincidence that this happened um, at the house of a Pharisee, someone who did not love extravagantly. Someone who was religious, yes, oh yeah, he went to temple and prayed in front of everyone to get applause from everyone. But the secret relationship with the Lord, oh no, you can't get applause for that, so that's not worth his time. I love that she's there at the Pharisee's house. I love that she's sinful and that she's not invited. She realizes what kind of forgiveness Jesus is offering her. And she's so amazed that she can be forgiven, that she wants to pour out this extravagant love. Extravagant love will disrupt a religious spirit. And that is what this woman did that day. She disrupted a religious spirit. She was despised and judged and accused because her love actually placed a flashlight on how complacent and indifferent all of them were. Her love placed a flashlight on their lack of priorities because Jesus had come as a guest to their very own house. They had an opportunity to lay out the red carpet for him. And did they? Mm -mm. He said, you didn't. You knew I was coming and you didn't even lay it out. This woman found out I was here and she busted in and disrupted so she could show her love for me. Mm. They were so rigid. They were like, girl, you do too much. This is, you're, you're obsessed. You're excessive. This is too much. Did Jesus think she did too much? Did Jesus think it was excessive? He said, woman, your sins are forgiven. And he said to the other woman in Matthew, we'll talk about you forever and what you've done here forever. I think it's super interesting that in one of these passages where the woman we have it appears a couple of different accounts here and not the same the same woman in these two passages I've shared with you. But I think it's really interesting in one of them right after this event happened, Judas turned Jesus over. And Judas's hate extravagant sacrificial worship. And her sacrificial extravagant worship could have been the very thing that actually turned Judas over. Remember, they were saying, oh, this is so expensive. You could have been giving this um, this money to the poor. Um, and supposedly Judas was in charge of the money. And so this was something that angered him, her extravagant love. Oh, he had a better, better idea for how this could have been used. And so um, again, don't don't worry about the Judases when they when they hate your extravagant worship. Um, <laughs> we don't need to allow ourselves to be judged and affected by what Judases uh, have to say about our worship. You keep on pouring out that expensive flask on your beautiful Jesus. You will be hated because of your lavish love. That's part of it. You'll be falsely accused and misunderstood at times. And that's a badge of honor. You wear that as a badge of honor. The old Testament says, kiss the son, adore him. Um, this is something pay homage to him that we are told to do in the old Testament and in the new Testament. It's not just a new Testament concept. Uh, this is something that those in the old Testament were also, um, Commanded to do, to worship the Lord, to kiss him, to pay homage to him. Psalm 212 says that. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Now I want to talk really briefly about a few elements of an intimate relationship with God. First, you have to come to him. So coming. Coming is the first step to a close relationship with God. He says, knock and I'll open the door to you. Seek, you will find. Are you knocking? Are you coming? Or are you expecting God to hit you upside the head with a lightning bolt? Or are you actually carving out time and saying, this is my meeting appointment with God. I am coming to meet with him because if you will come, I promise you, he will meet you. It is a promise. It is as sure as a mathematical equation that if you will come, he will be there. If you will seek, you will find. If you will knock, the door will be open to you. First Chronicles 16:11 says, Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. So we need to come and we need to seek him continually, not just a certain time of the day, not just once a week on Sunday when we go to church. No, we are to seek him continually. Psalm 27, 8 says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I don't just seek answers to prayers that I need answered. Your face I seek. I seek look to the Lord in his strength, seek his face always. Psalm 105.4. And so coming is the first step to having an intimate relationship with God. How often do we come? This is something that Christians debate about and religious people like to mock those who say, come every day, come every day, make sure you go every day to the Lord. Um, I grew up Baptist. I'm, I'm, don't consider myself Baptist any longer, but uh, as Baptists, we called it your quiet time. And uh, have you had your quiet time today, or everybody? You need to have a daily quiet time, is what we call it. That doesn't work for me anymore because I don't know my my time with the Lord seems to be loud time, so quiet time doesn't work. But what they what they meant by that was coming and setting apart a time to meet with God. So. Make your appointment with God, whether that's early in the morning, whether that's later night, what not at night, whatever works best for you. Um, for me, I tend to be a late nighter. I struggle with the morning time with God. I lead morning time with God, with my family, with my children, but I struggle um, in the morning getting up early and I, I hope it's something that I can shift. But at this time in my life, nighttime seems to work better for me, but just make sure you come. That's, that's all. I mean, it's not a legalistic thing. It's I want to have an intimate relationship with the most amazing, amazing person um, in the world. I want to have an intimate relationship with the one who allowed himself to be nailed to a cross for me, who gave me the most amazing plan of redemption. I want to have an intimate relationship with him. Jesus is our manna. How often did manna, when he allowed manna to come from heaven uh, with the children of Israel in the desert to feed them, how often did manna have to be uh, gathered up every day? Why? It would go stale if they didn't take it every day, if they didn't consume it every day. Jesus is our manna. It actually says in John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you want to be filled? Do you want to no longer be thirsty? Well, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He's saying, I am your manna. And manna is something that you consume every day. It will change your life if you come to him every day to meet with him. Posture is something that's important. How do we come to the Lord when we set up a time to meet with him? How do we come? What is our posture. Psalm 95, six says, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. We want to always make sure that the posture of our heart, not necessarily that our knees have to be on the ground kneeling, but that the posture of our heart is one of kneeling and humility. The Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so we never come with anything but a humble heart. If you're coming to the Lord with, let me open my Bible right now and let me see, let me show this person that what I believe is, is right. And they are wrong. Oh gosh, the Lord's not going to meet with you. He's not going to visit you. As I read to you from Isaiah earlier, he has no interest in that heart posture. We are to come to him in humility, seeking him, not seeking praise of man, not seeking superiority, seeking his face. And then listening is a major part of having an intimate relationship with God. Sometimes we come, we're in a hurry, we read our verses, we maybe pray our prayers, maybe sing a song, and then we've got to go. And nobody understands that better than I do. Okay. I have a major, major struggle with, um, all the things that I have to multitask. I'm the mother of 10 children. I've got a household to keep. I've got a ministry and a business. I've got podcasts to prepare for. It's easy to fall into the trap of wanting just an in and out quick, Drive through kind of relationship with God, but the disciples were taught to tarry. And when they tarried, what happened? They encountered God. He met them, He shook that place, He showed up, and He rocked their world and changed their lives forever. Pastor Jennison Franklin said, We live in a world of nonstop noise. Do you ever stop long enough to hear God? It's a very good question. Because God gave us two ears and only one mouth. He could have given us two mouths and one ear, but he gave us two ears and one mouth because he wanted us to be quick to listen and slow to talk. And so this is something I'm preaching to myself right now. I need to listen more. I need to tarry more. I need to wait on the Lord more. Let us all be diligent about obeying this command in scripture to wait on the Lord and tarry and allow him to encounter us in that way and one of my last points here is that if Jesus needed private time with God so do we (laughs) if Jesus the son of God the creator of the universe needed intimate quiet alone solitude time with God so do we The Bible says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed very early in the morning. And so I am certainly no better than Jesus himself. And if he needed time to encounter the Lord and to listen to his voice, then we all need it a whole lot more. And this is what he promises if we will come to him. With the right heart posture, and wait on him and hear his voice. In John fourteen it says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. He promises to show himself to us. In Proverbs eight seventeen, it says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can you honestly say that you're diligently seeking him? Or just barely whenever you might have a lot of extra time on your hands seeking him? I want the Lord to know that I am diligently seeking him and desperate for more of him. He is is so amazing. He is everything. He is a river of life. He is not a stagnant pond. He is a current. And with a the current, there is always new water coming by you, right? As you stand there, there's always new water flowing and the Lord always has more to teach us. I mean, there is never a time when we can say we have arrived and we know everything and we don't need to learn more from the Lord. He's always got a new current of his anointing and his voice that will come flowing through the scripture and through our time with him, through prayer. He is a never-ending current and river of life. And I want us all to experience all that he has for us. He deserves it. He is the one who never walks out on us. He died for us. He never mistreats you. He's always gentle with you when you come with a humble heart. He never sides with the wicked or with the oppressor. He always fights for the oppressed. There is no corruption or injustice in him. He is altogether lovely with zero flaws and he deserves us coming to him and diligently seeking him. Do not miss this opportunity, this side of heaven, an opportunity that even the angels do not get to experience that we have as redeemed individuals on the earth. Do not miss this opportunity to be encountered by God. In Song of Solomon 2.13, it says, Arise, come my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. He is calling us to come away with him and learn from him and hear his voice and encounter him. Smith Wigglesworth defines what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he says to hunger and thirst after righteousness is when nothing in the world can fascinate us so much as being near to God. I want nothing to take superiority over my fascination of being near to God. I hope that something in this podcast has been a blessing to you and a challenge to you. And I hope that you will share it with your friends. You can hear this podcast um, on YouTube, on the Apple Podcast app, on Amazon, and on Simplecast. We give you a lot of options and ways to hear the podcast, conversations with Elizabeth Johnston. And we hope that you'll get the word out about the podcast. We love you and we're praying for you. God bless you. Bye.